ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, good people of the earth, welcome to episode uh, 101 of Thoughts on Films, a podcast that thinks a lot about films in Malaysia and beyond. As usual, my name is Fikri. And almost as usual, nowadays we've been talking about a fair amount of stuff outside of Malaysia. And I think for now, we are kind of like, uh, I think we're probably stuck outside of Malaysia without our passport or visa because we are going to stay very much across the Malaccan Straits, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, very much in tune with the Indonesian slash Jakartan slash Javanese slash Bataknese. Uh, there's going to be a bit of that later on, right? We'll, we're going to cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, but we are going to welcome good people, not one, but two special guests to the session or to the, to the episode because I can't talk about all these things um, uh, at the same time, the focus is all going to be on um, selected Indonesian films from the year 2022. And on hand to kind of share with us a bit more of their thoughts and feelings will be the returning friend of the show, Nadia. And also welcoming back, uh, or rather welcoming for the first time, Tiara. Uh, Nadia and Tiara, good afternoon or good evening, ladies. How are you guys doing? How are you doing, Nadia? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> all right. Good listeners will have remembered Nadia from uh, some of our episodes earlier last year. We talked about selected Indonesian films from 2021. And also we had a one special episode where we just took a closer look at Penyadin Chaya. But Tiara is making her Thoughts on Films debut here. Uh, and I don't know whether it's a podcasting debut. Maybe it is that as well. We'll find out more. Tiara, good evening. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. All right. Is this your podcast debut, by the way? Yes. This is my first time. Ah, here we go. All your thoughts, all your words going out live to everybody on I don't know, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever it is, right? Uh, but yes, uh, Tiara, you are here. This is your first time with us. And I think, um, you know, I, I brought you on to, because I feel like you have something to share about quite a number of these films that we'll be talking about. Um, but for those of us who don't know you uh, all that well, I, I just wonder if you can just like give us a brief introduction to your good self, Tiara. Yeah, sure. So, hello, my name is Tiara. Nothing special about me. I just graduated from university, taking media communications and film. That's probably why I'm invited here today. Yeah, I think that's pretty much about it. Well, it's, it's a part of it, but uh, certainly don't, don't sell yourself short. Um, you know, we're all special in our own ways. Um, and uh, I'm fairly certain you will have a lot to say about the films coming up. Here today and on that note i'm just going to get through the just a brief introduction for what it is that we'll do here today uh, basically we are looking at a select number of films uh, largely taken from the 2022 best indonesian films article by radia uh, indra for the jakarta post published on the 29th of december 2022 so it's quite a it's quite an, an eclectic mix of films here uh, quite a lot of the the blockbuster ones uh, one or two like slightly left field choices here um, and uh, that, that it kind of includes uh, Evacuasi Mama Imola which is a, a short film uh, I think that's uh, going to be an interesting one to talk about um, but for our purposes yes actually 10 films in the original list we are going to focus on just nine primarily because the 10th film Penyalin Jaya we actually have had a very special episode as mentioned earlier where Nadia and I actually talked about that film in greater detail. But without further ado, I'm just going to jump to uh, the first film here uh, on the list. Uh, and I'm just going through the list. It's not really a, a ranking of any kind. It's just a list of all these films here. That first film here, ladies, uh, Pengabdi Setan Dua, right? 
is uh, the sequel to the big hit from I think 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it tells the story of Rini, uh, played by Tara Basro, and her younger siblings, Tony and Bondi, played by Andy Arfian and Nasar Anus, respectively. Um, along with their father, Bahri, uh, played by Bron Palare, they moved to live in an apartment several years after they managed to save themselves from a terrible incident that made them lose their mother, Mawarni, played by Ayu Lakshmi, and their youngest uh, sibling, called Ian, uh, played by Muhammad Adiyat, right? And they now live in flats where there are many other people who, who live there as well, like Tari and, and Dino, played by Ratu Felicia and Jordi Pranata, right? So they feel safe if something happens. However, jeng jeng, as ever, right? Tajuk Fidem dia ada setan, of course, you know, they soon realize that living with many people can also be very dangerous if they're not familiar with who their neighbors are. And so on a night full of terror, Rini and her family must return to save themselves, okay? This is a film written and directed by Joko Anwar, produced by uh, Gopeti Samtani and Tia Hasibuan. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about the editing and cinematography later on as well. But uh, a few notes here. This is also the first Indonesian IMAX film, as well as the third highest grossing Indonesian film of all time, with uh, it had 6.4 million admissions alone just from this year and, and not counting, you know, um, how it does outside of Indonesia. Uh, but without further ado, let's get to the ladies here. I'm guessing, you know, uh, I've seen the film. I've plenty to talk about it, but I just want to have a listen to, let's listen to Tiara a little bit more. Tiara, did you manage to watch this film? Actually, I don't. I did watch the no. first one. I did watch right. the first one, but... I couldn't manage to watch the second one because the first one is traumatic enough. <laughs> I, I agree to an extent. And even for this film, it could be argued that when I watched the film, I didn't really watch the film because I was kind of like, uh, just yeah, the, the people, the listeners can't hear, but I'm just like having my fingers in front of my eyes right now because it, it is, for me, at least a scary film. Uh, but uh, let's, let's go for the second panelist that we have here today. Nadia, uh, any thoughts on... Pengabdi Setan Dua that you can share with us. I actually have not seen this film as well. Um, because, no! yeah, <laughs> as you talk about, that, the first film is actually like traumatic enough because I remember I saw the first film in the theaters and then I put on like a very loud rock music in my earphones so that I don't really have to hear the sound because it's really scary. But apparently it's like still cult related, like the first one. Hmm. Yeah, so there's a bit of that. But before I get to my own analysis of the film, I'm just keen to kind of check in on you. Um, what do you mean when you say you watch the film and you listen to rock music but through your headphones or, or earphones? Like, ooh, oh. you went to watch the film and then you didn't listen to the film? Yes, the first film though, when I was still in high school, I think. Right. Um, yeah. and, and how was that for you? I mean... That must have been quite a different experience. I mean, you can still see things, right? And in fact, the film itself, what, what made it scary was was just how the visual sound. it is. Yeah. And the yeah. sound, the sound was, was very scary as well. But but the visual, I mean, now you watch this film, you don't hear the sound. What was that like for you? I think honestly, because I, I did see it in the cinema, so like the sound is still there, but like not as loud. But I think probably for me, I only received probably like 80% of the actual scariness compared to the others, but it was still a very scary experience for me. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I for me personally, I always thought that Indonesian scary movies are always somewhat scarier than the Western ones, probably because it feels more real since I'm here. So that's, yeah, that's how it's like. 
Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I was just about to say that because we, generally speaking, we tend to, um, yeah, we, we're just closer to the things. Right? So it kind of feels like, you know, it could happen to us a lot more than whatever that was in the conjuring, for instance, that's like, it's so far away, you know, it's not going to come to bother us. Bathsheba is not going to be jumping out of my wardrobe anytime soon, I think. Um well, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but all the same, um, the Pengabdi Setan Dua is like, actually, I saw the film um, uh, when it came out. It was in the cinema. And what was very interesting about the film is how it's actually quite a different one, right? So uh, it is different in the sense that the, in terms of the scares or the, the, the horror that you get, a lot of it, it relied a lot more on the jump scares relative to the first film right so if you want to talk about the filming style there's a slight difference there in terms of how it kind of became a bit more mainstream the first one was uh, a lot eerier if that makes sense right there's, there's a lot of that kind of like unease hanging just in the air um and so that was quite strange this one is a lot it's a lot more social political uh, certainly um the start of the scene i remember um, it was quite scary as well, but uh, the the date of the incident where they discovered all these bodies, like in this like you know um, uh, position, if you will, right? And it seems like they've been fried or something like that. Uh, something happened to them, and they're all dead. Um, all this kind of occurred just like one one or two days before the Bandung Conference in 1955. So it feels like Joko Anwar is like trying to kind of make a connection here between that. And, and, and other things as well. So the same goes for like when we fast forward to 19, I think it was 1984 when, or the mid 80s at least, when the majority of this film is, is set. Uh, you watch the film and it's like this dingy flat, right? So if you guys, I don't know if you guys have seen The Raid, uh, the one with Iko Wise and, um, and uh, Joe Taslim and whatnot, right? Uh, but that film was also set in like this set of like, get low cost flat you know it's a lot of people there but but it's not really very well maintained very dark lights are always flickering in the corridor and everything and this film is very much like that and what was very scary is also to an extent you also have the the presence of the media right so you have the characters like listening to the radio or watching TV, so you have at that time, of course, only TVRI or RRI, right? And and so the only way in which you know about the outside world is what the government wants to tell you. And and I think that kind of ties in with uh, a lot about what what went on in the film as well. Um, there are even like certain parts where it feels as if they're trying to say as if uh, the feeling I get is that the government doesn't quite care about the working class or the people who are in this flat. They are like marginalized. Like it's, it's quite far from other parts of, of Jakarta, for instance. And um, if you look at the flat alone, right? I don't know if I can like just very quickly. Let's check this out. Uh, Abdi Setan Dua Flat or oh, Apartment. Um, oh my God. All, I get, all I'm getting are just... Uh, the posters for Pengabdi Setan as I Google this. I'm just hoping I can share it with Nadia and and Tiara on my on my Zoom session here. Uh, apartment. Uh, so I'm using DuckDuckGo and I think it's actually quite okay, but uh, it's also not the most accurate, I guess. Um, anyway, so let's see if I can just use Google. So the point I'm trying to make here is that because it's in the middle of nowhere, you don't really have any other buildings or any other uh, 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 um, 
environment around it. The building itself, ladies and, and, and listeners at home, it looks like a tombstone. It looks like a... Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's very ominous. It looks like um, it's not really uh, welcoming. Okay, so I'm just very, going to very quickly uh, share my screen here so that the ladies can uh, have a look at this. So you kind of see this. Right? It's in the middle of nowhere, no, no other buildings around it, right? Um, and then, of course, all these other surroundings is, is removed, right? But the point is uh, there's a sense where it's just like this block, right? It's a rectangular block in the middle of nowhere, and it does look like very much like a tombstone. And and there's a sense of uh, something ominous about it, like this is where all these people will go to die. Um, and then finally, later on in the film, there is also one part that I was also very struck by because basically the father is discovered to have uh, done something, and then. Uh, Tara Basro, uh, the, which is Rini, uh, the, her character Rini in the film, she uh, said something about, you know, uh, Bapak seharusnya mempertahankan kami, so something like that. But for some reason, I can't help but kind of escape the feeling that, uh, you know, in, in Bahasa Indonesia, when you say Bapak, usually you're kind of like referring to somebody who is of, a, of, of some seniority, like in a very senior position. So the way she said Bapak, it's almost as if like, the way she would have actually used the word bapa to address somebody like the president or somebody who is in a position of some authority or some minister, you know, like bapa seharusnya sudah mempertahankan kami atau uh, you know um, menyelamatkan kami or something, right? Um, so there is that sense where it feels as if that I don't know why I think I'm just overthinking things, right? Um, but there's a part where I thought this is where Joko Anwar is trying to say something about the government back then, all right? Um, and and on that note, right, uh, without really having seen the film itself, I wonder, maybe I just want to check in with Nadia. Um, would you think that Joko Anwar is the kind of director who would like try to kind of put in more of this social political meanings in, in a film and therefore I'm not crazy in thinking that this might be a possibility in terms of the meaning to be made here? I mean, I think so. I mean, looking at, okay, I have not seen that many of his films, but my brother is a fan of his and he saw a lot of his films and he talks about a lot about like cults and stuff like that especially cults when it's linked with like rich people so I think it's very possible if he's trying if Joe Conway is trying to link um, the connection between powerful people and like the social cultural environment in Indonesia with how he directs the film I think that is very possible it's like Indonesian Illuminati stuff. Well, maybe oh, not that yeah. per se, but no, okay, that's like hefty, but like, you know, <laughs> that's the idea. Like powerful people and then like some kind of cult and then there's a relation between those two. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that's the case. Tiara, you want to jump in with something about Indonesian Illuminati? <laughs> or, you know, the films of Joko Anwar, is that like a reasonable context in which we can look at this film? I think it might be possible but in the other side i think like it also might be like our own interpretation yeah I, i'm not sure because like uh, from the films like uh or the ones i read but i didn't watch i think like i couldn't see like that much very clear idea of like the politics but 
it's not an impossible thing, but probably it has like a, a slight idea, but I don't think like it's the main thing that he wants to show. Yeah, possibly. I mean, yes, yeah, you're right. Maybe it's not the main thing. Uh, at the end of the day, this is primarily a horror film um, and there are quite a number of horrific moments in there. It's just like uh, for some reason, uh, you know, some of the moments, some of the lines, some of the scenes, it just makes me like uh, feel kind of, ah, you know, that's, oh, there's something, that's that's the meaning. You, you got to dig around for the deeper meaning. This is it. So that's where my film instincts kind of lead me to. Um, but I must say, of course, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I can't overthink things. Um, after all, fikri is the root word for fikir. Um, so, you know, it is it is like that. So let's not uh, labor that point too much, perhaps. Um, I think it definitely deserves its place uh, on this list here. I certainly enjoyed a lot of the film. Uh, third highest grossing Indonesian film of all time. Uh, I would say yes as well. Again, if you kind of go outside of, Mal outside of Indonesia, very well received in Malaysia as well. So, so that's that. Uh, good stuff. Let's move on to the second film on the list, Noktah Merah Perkawinan. Now, I'm going to be upfront. I'm going to say that uh, I saw the posters for this film, you know, at Cinema 21 and CGV and whatnot. I saw the trailer, uh, and I've heard of the story. Uh, it's, it's not really the most interesting for me per se, right? So, but before I get there, uh, perhaps it's better if I just share with you guys a bit more of the synopsis. Here it is. After 11 years of marriage, the relationship between Ambar, Marsha Timothy, the housewife, and Gilang, Oka Antara, an architect, enters a period of disappointment. Ah, kasihan mangat. Their relationship becomes more complicated. Uh, with the presence of Yuli, uh, right? Sheila Dara Aisha, a student in Ambar's ceramics class, as she brings comfort to Gilang and vice versa. Oh my goodness, ladies, always, there's always like another element, another complicating factor here. Now, actually, I just translated that bit from some synopsis that I got somewhere online. Um, not, not a not so bad, but the point is, it's a shorter version of what was a longer synopsis that kind of just goes into how the plot is actually like, oh, it's like this, and then the boyfriend comes along and whatnot. Um, but the point here is, it's also an adaptation of an earlier Sinetron program from, I think, the late uh, uh, 1980s or early 90s, right? So in that context, uh, it, it can be seen here that uh, as a film, uh, in terms of the story, it is that kind of story. Uh, and so in that context, not so interested in that, but all the same, worth noting that the director here is uh, is uh, a woman by the name of Sabrina Rochelle Kalangi. Again, produced by Gopi T. Samtani, the same producer for Pengabdi Satan Dua tadi. And also the writers is written by Titian Watimena and Sabrina Rochelle Kalangi. Okay, um, This is a review from uh, written by Galih Dea from culturaide.ide, right? So I'm just going to read this. It is in Indonesian, but hopefully it's more than enough for you guys to kind of have an idea of uh, at least a perception of the film at that time. Noktah Merah Perkawinan memang banyak berfokus tentang macam-macam masalah terkait dengan pernikahan. Tentang bagaimana satu pihak selalu berusaha untuk mengemban beban demi kebahagiaan semua orang 
hingga pasangan yang kerap merasa bahawa ia tidak pernah dilibatkan dalam berbagai keputusan menjadikan filem adaptasi sinetron Indonesia legendaris ini adalah refleksi kekinian bagi penontonnya dalam menjalin pernikahan. So that's the review. Okay, it kind of points out how there's a strong, you know, aspect of melo, a strong melodramatic aspect to it. Um, but let's have a listen to either Nadia or, or Tiara. Um, were you guys in the country when when this was released? Uh, Tiara, were, were you around or were you still in Australia? I'm not sure actually. Mm, okay, ha- have you but seen I, this film? Not yet, but I don't remember like seeing this film like the promotional like posters or something on the social media or the cinemas. Mm. Probably I'm not around. Hmm. It didn't cause any any kind of buzz on your side with regards to the social media accounts that you follow or are aware of and whatnot. Not really. I think like I've been hearing about this film only when it was released on Netflix. Hmm. I think it's pretty recent. All right. Yeah. There are quite a lot of these films, ladies and gentlemen, are available on Netflix. I think Pengabdi Setan Dua you can find on Disney Plus Hotstar, right? Um. And and on that note, I just want to get over to. Uh, Nadia, very briefly, not too much that we can talk about with regards to this film, but still, in the in the context of the you know a lot of sinetrons now being adapted into um, uh, film, uh, I feel like this is seems like there's quite a lot of these kind of films coming about. Is it or am I? Is it just me kind of imagining things? I think so. I would think so. Yeah, probably not from like sinetron to film per se. But like the remaking of some old sinetrons like Cinta Fitri and some other stuff. Um, yeah. So it's some kind of a trend, I would say. Do you, do you watch sinetrons? Uh, I mean, in the past or maybe even now? Growing up, yes. Silently behind my parents' back <laughs> because I was not huh? allowed. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Silently again. Silently, no, I mean, you 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 watch Pengabdi Setan the first one without listening to the audio, and now you're watching Sinetron silently as well. Everything is just like a very silent experience for you. Well, not really silently, but like secretly because my mom yeah. was working. So yeah, I used to watch it before she came home because I was not allowed to watch Sinetron. Um, but why why I, were you not allowed to watch it? I think because of the presence of romance and stuff i mean i was not allowed to watch hannah montana because they're dating or something um what hannah montana really yeah i grew up watching disney junior so <laughs> that is very sad actually <laughs> but um there, there, there are some good stuff there it's all right it's all right phineas did they still have phineas and ferb that was excellent yes i really like that, that, that is a good one that is a good yeah. one uh but yeah. in regards to noctamera because uh It's an older sinetron. I was not around when the sinetron was there, but I've heard it. Yeah. I've heard about that sinetron from like podcast um, and radio and stuff like that. Um, I actually did see the film last night um, because of the hype and everything else. I think oh, you saw the, you saw the film Nokta. Yes. Ah, yes. Oh, come on, here we go. So, what what are your thoughts? I mean, and any good bits there? So, I think in most of Indonesian media, when there's like a third person in a relationship. The audience are kind of, uh, you know, how the, how the film shapes the third person. It will get the audience to hate that person. But I think um, from this from this film, uh, we get more of the third person's point of view and how she, why she did what she did. 
like she has an abusive boyfriend and stuff like that. So in a way, we sympathize more with her, which is something interesting. I don't see that trope that much in Indonesian media, especially. So the her stat her status as the third person is not really villainized, if that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, and I would say it's very well directed. Um, the blocking is great. That I would say. Plus the composition. Yeah, that that is beautiful. So. Oh, lovely! You know what? The minute you said that, it kind of prioritizes the perspective of the third person. You kind of got me there because I, I'm always like I, I agree with you when it comes to kind of like um, the representation of women, the framing of 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 um, women, the younger women, you know, the third woman is like it's a little wilder, the temptress, the femme fatale. You know, always not not kacau laki orang apa kan? You know, so. There's, there's a common interpretation. Um, but when you said that, I'm reminded of a previous Malaysian film. I think this is 2019 by Nadia Hamza, a motif where the main character is a detective, but she's also like having some personal issues related to being like, uh, I guess you could say, uh, the, I think the term side piece is probably too too harsh, but still, it's like still the third person in that relationship. And so there are moments where uh, the quote unquote the wife calls her up. It's like, hey, jangan ganggu lah. You know, kita dah ada keluarga apa semua kan? You know, so if I recall correctly. But the point is, is uh, you don't get that the third person perspective as the as the protagonist or as the main perspective. Or at least as he pointed out for uh, Nokta, um, uh, uh, as a more sympathetic uh, being or character that we can kind of like empathize or sympathize with and for. Um, that's quite rare. So, oh, I'm, I'm a little bit more tempted than I would have been before, Nadia. So that's, I don't know whether that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't have enough time to watch. I still, I'm like, Stranger Things season four, you must say that start again. It's just so annoying. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, that, that's that. That's the film, Nokta Merah Perkawinan. Oh, uh, saya pesan air putih aja deh, Mas. Satu ya. Thank you. Tante, aku. Gak apa-apa kan tadi Tante udah pesen air putih. Gak apa-apa Tante ini minum. Ayo. Tante. Ayo. Tante. Udah yuk. Minum aja. Gak apa-apa. Ya udah. Oke makasih ya sayang. The next film. The third one on the list here. This one, I feel, I, I think, if I recall correctly, uh, Nadia, you pointed out that you actually saw with uh, Tiara, uh, Kramat Dua, Caruban Larang, um, which is uh, a horror film. Um, it's uh, apparently it's quite good, quite all right. Um, in terms of the story, this is a, a film telling the story of a group of young people who goes to Cirebon. I like Cirebon. Cirebon is a nice place. Uh, been there a few times. Uh, wouldn't mind going back there again. It tells the story of Arla, played by Arla Ailani. And now here's something worth bearing in mind. A lot of characters here, most of them kind of use what appears to be their real name. So you have Arla, played by Arla Ailani. Jojo, played by Josephine, Josephine Firmstone. Maura, played by Maura Gabriel. Umay, played by Umay Shahab. Uh, Ajil, played by Ajil Dito. Kianu, uh, played by Kianu Angelo, uh, and then Ute, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it, from Lutisha, or maybe just Uti, I don't know. Um, 
they're all kind of going there for various purposes. Some want to make a you know documentary, others want to create content for YouTube. Um, and then they meet uh, Ute and Indigo with a secret agenda. I don't know what an Indigo with a secret agenda is. Maybe you guys can shed more light on it later. The film is directed by Monty Tiwa and is uh, also written by Monty Tiwa, Sergi Sutanto and Azam. Uh, Azam uh, is uh, quite a well-regarded kind of like horror person nowadays, an up-and-coming filmmaker in his own right. Um and uh, here's the review from the Jakarta Post itself by Anindito Ariwandono. Overall, Kramat 2 is a decent follow-up that holds its ground compared to the first. It is relevant to the social landscape of the current tech-savvy generation with a believable upgrade in terms of its high-def delivery, but this has sacrificed Kramat's uh, stripped-down aesthetics. Um, yes, so to the ladies here who have seen it, just now I got to Tiara first. Now I just want to check in with Nadia. Uh, you get first dibs, right? You've seen this film, right, Nadia? What do you think? Yes, I think I think it's actually a really good film. Um, in terms of, I mean, style-wise, I would say it's pretty similar to the first Karamat movie, but obviously, like, it's more modern in a sense. And the personality that we got here are the so-called celebgram who are famous still nowadays. So we kind of know. How so I would say that this film used the their the the actor's persona very um, effectively because we know who they are and we know what they're like. So they use that in in the film. And I don't know if this is true, but I've read somewhere that um, this film does not actually have any solid script. So they're just improvising. But I'm not sure if that's the case. But I think I've read it somewhere. But it's a it's a really fun movie. It's still scary for me, but when I did see it, I saw it with a friend and she said that um, she couldn't really see it as a horror movie because there's Keanu and Keanu is a really funny persona on the internet. Um, but that's not the case for me because I got scared easily. So I think it's still very scary for me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fun movie to watch for sure. Right. Before we get to Tiara, very briefly, Nadia, were you listening with your headphones on as well or? Uh, no, <laughs> this time okay. no. Okay, <laughs> this time no. Uh, Tiara, what about you? Like maybe there's one moment from the film that kind of like caught your attention the most in terms of something, in terms of the story, character, filmmaking style, something like that. Actually, I haven't watched the movie. No, what? Uh, Nadia, I yeah. think I remember you telling me there was... Oh, it's probably like and share that you it's saw like, together. Yeah. Um, and and there was something else there. But I think this one, all the same, uh, uh, Tiara, in terms of like Indonesian horror, uh, the, the Indonesian horror context, um, it's a found footage film, right? Or am I right in saying that? Or is something else? It's not quite that. Almost like, I would say like found footage-esque, like not found footage per se, but something like it. Right, okay. Um, all right, uh, I, that's fine. I guess in this case, uh, no worries. Uh, if we have not seen it, then we can kind of uh, move actually a little there's, forward. Actually, there's yes. something that like interests me in like about this film. All right, what about it? Uh, because um, I think I've been seeing a lot of like traditional dance in horror films lately. Oh, is there a traditional dance bit in this horror film? Yeah, I think so. Is, I think is, like is, from reading the reviews and like reading the right. synopsis. 
Can, yeah. can you confirm that for us uh, very briefly, Nadia? That's the case? Yeah. Yes, their final project was about to search for a lost dance from Cirebon. Right. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. I think there was a bit of that in uh, Kaka and, well, literally, Dida Sapanari, <laughs> right? So yes. I think for some reason, somebody is just trying to make traditional dances a bit scary here. But uh, yes, Tiara, what, what are your thoughts on the inclusion of traditional dance in the context of Indonesian horror films here? Probably because like I did a bit of traditional dance myself. I was always like intrigued by the use of traditional dance in this kind of genre. Is there a, a spiritual side to it? Like you kind of like, you know, sometimes for certain types of traditional uh, practices, you know, if you kind of like really want to live the full thing, you got to like reach deep down to yourself and let, you know, your, your inner uh, selves kind of take over your body, kind of really move forward with, with the, the movements of whatever it is that you're doing. I wonder whether there's an, an, an aspect of that that can be seen in the performance of traditional dances from Indonesia. Definitely. I mean, like, there's a lot of, like, kinds of traditional dances in Indonesia, like, different functions, different uses as well, like, different different dancers as well. But I remember doing a similar kind of writing project, like, I was, like, interested in traditional dance, and I think, like, with the sacred, like, idea of traditional dance, I think it's easier to make it into like a horror sort of movie or thriller. So yeah, I did a few research on traditional dance, especially the sacred ones. Definitely there's like a scary, like scary sort of side of these kind of dances. All right. I remember reading a script of yours. You you sent a script to me. Yeah previously and asked for my opinion i can't remember what i said maybe i said did i reply to you i think i replied to you maybe yes I did. you did <laughs> i did but no, yeah i remember did, like did. even in the context of that like you were working with like you know the idea of a young dancer who wants to kind of like um needs to practice or go through this ritual and mm -hmm. you know, to kind of be uh, accepted at a higher level and whatnot so it's, it's very intriguing that um feels like that's a uh, slightly under discussed uh uh, uh, part of the equation here. Um, before I move on to the next bit, just one final question for you, Tiara, um, because I feel like traditional dances, for the most part, is still situated within the realm of, the, you know, feminine performance of culture. Um, would I be right also that this is kind of like another way in which, you know, women are now kind of like being made into an even more central part of Indonesian horror? Um, because from Malaysian horror and, and a lot of Indonesian horror, the ghost is always... There's always, it's always a monstrous feminine, right? But now if you kind of like include the traditional dance bit, um, which again, in my imagination, kind of is performed by women, does this kind of like make women even more uh, of, of the bad guy or the bad person or the bad spirit, so to speak, in, in Indonesian horror films? Now that you're saying like this kind of thing, it makes me think as well, like because... For Indonesian dances, I think there's not only like women dancers, there's actually male dancers as well. And there's like a combined like female and male dancers as well. But it's interesting like how like we can see in Kaka and the Savanari and also like in this movie, the dancer is a woman. Mm. So yeah, probably that's that's that might be the case. 
Hmm. Yeah. There's also a previous one, Sang Penari. That was a long time ago, probably ten years ago. Is it Sang Penari or something? Was it? Uh, was it horror? No, it's not horror. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like one of these like quality uh, period film by Ifa Isfansha, I think. Mm. Uh, I, I can't remember now. But anyway, so the point is like um, uh, that was a number of years ago. So again, women tradition, heritage, culture, and now kind of being reworked as a kind of new horror trope for some reason. Ah, very interesting. Maybe that's something that uh, for anybody here who wants to do their master's, maybe that's a kind of thesis that you guys can work with. Um, get back in touch with me a few years from now and we'll see what happens. So for now, we are going to leave Kramat Dua behind. Adesan, come on. Adesan, all of us has got to see it, right? Okay, Mencuri Radin Saleh, I mean... Come on. Okay, so I've seen it, right? Um, Nadia, you've seen it? Yes. T- Tiara, you've seen it? Yeah, finally we can have like a proper discussion <laughs> and kind of like really discuss whether Sarah is is that cool of a character or not, which the answer is actually very cool. But still, we'll get there um, when we get there. For now, in terms of the, um, the synopsis, we basically have the story here of the ex-president Permadi, Tio uh, Pakusadeo, the actor, uh, who hires a teenager Pico, the one and only Iqbal Ramadan, an art forger and his friend Uchuk Angga Yunanda, right? uh, another rising star in Indonesian cinema here, a hacker to forge a painting, which is the arrest of Prince Diponegoro by Raden Saleh. And, and this is a, a painting uh, in, in location at the presidential palace, the Istana president. Unfortunately, during the exchange, uh, he tells people to sort the painting with the original, blah, blah, blah. But basically, um, you know, uh, he kind of like gets to the stage where he has no choice but to accept this offer of of having to kind of like um, not just forge the painting, but also exchange the forgery with the original, which in in the um, Istana president uh, itself there. So, you know, he has no choice but to kind of fall back on his friend, Uchup, his girlfriend, Sarah, played by Agnini Huck. Um, and then there's also others who uh, come in to kind of help them out. This is a film, ladies and gentlemen, by Anga Duima Sasonko, uh, written also by Anga and uh, Hussein M. Atmojo. Uh, a lot of the editing, I think we can talk about, as well as the composition. The editor is Hendra Adi Susanto, and the music comes from uh, Abel Hooray! So I have my notes and <laughs> there's a lot I want to talk about even though my notes is composed largely of only three on the same word repeated three times. But of course, I just want to check in with Nadia first and then Tiara before we get to my analysis. Nadia, your thoughts on this film, please. I think, honestly, um, it's a very fun film, I would say. Like, again, lots of um, actors that we all know, like very exciting ensemble I would say um, and it's a really good mystery film and dialogue wise I think it's a very realistic film like the words that are used are the actual words that we use when we talk um, speaking from a um, Indonesian adolescent perspective I guess so it feels very real but also at the same time like of course I, I don't really have any experience with that specific kind of situation but it's, a very it's okay fun... if you do. You, you can admit it. This is a safe. <laughs> it's a safe space, Nadia. Oh God, I'm not artistic enough to replicate stuff. So, <laughs> um, I think yeah, I would say it's a very fun film. Um, a very good mystery film because I do love a mystery film. Um, everything is just 
just right, I would say, as Goldilocks did say. Um, everything is just right. Goldilocks said that? Just oh. right? Yes. Uh, so, About the uh, porridge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. No, the third one, right? The yes. first one was too hot, and then the second one was too cold, and then the third one was... Yes, just That's right. right. Okay, now now I remember. Oh, okay. Thank you for reminding me, Nadia. I did not expect <laughs> that, but it's it's such is a pleasure of doing a podcast with you guys. Tiara, plenty of characters in the film. Um, I wonder whether you have your favorite uh, that you can kind of like talk about a bit more and and why that character is your favorite. That's interesting. I actually never thought like, and I haven't thought of like choosing a favorite character, but. I think the one who stands out the most, like in terms of like the acting, is uh Iqbal's character. Okay, Nadia's nodding in agreement there. I'm sure. Yes, and and all the other listeners. Yeah, why do you say that, Tiara? Um, because like I I've seen different like different films of his, and I think he's always like choosing new characters to perform and yeah i think he he plays it out quite well in this film like the emotional part as well as well as like the newer like kind of things like his painting acting <laughs> i think it would be pretty hard like I, I don't know like if he uses like other people to do it for him but Mm. If he did it himself, I think it's pretty amazing, like how he would learn, like how to, he would learn to paint like a real painter. Yeah, it was very well done in many respects. I thought the, I mean, a lot of the shots, especially some of the earlier shots and some of the key moments in the in the film, it, it is kind of constructed as a one take scene or one take shot. So um, yeah, it kind of traverses different times and whatnot. You know, you have kind of like a match cut or fade and then suddenly, oh, the painting is now in this in a different location, right? But I think for the most part, you do get a feeling that a lot of the work on screen is actually done by the actors themselves and not really like a stand-in, like, I don't know, a stand-in, I don't know, a hand stunt double. I mean, I don't even know what to call it. Uh, I'm the stunt hand for Iqbal in Munchuri Radin Saleh. Um so I think it's slightly from, from the actors themselves who probably spent some time working for it. I think it's quite interesting that you kind of like mentioned Iqbal there because um, it, it does feel like he's kind of like playing a, a wider range of roles. Maybe in a way, just try to get away from the Dylan films as much as anything else. Uh, you know, he likes that. That's uh, the success. Thank you very much. But you know, I am an actor. Uh, I, I kind of like, you know, want to explore the creative boundaries here. So I remember last year we did a, a discussion where um, Nadia was also enthusiastic about his performance in uh, Ali dan Ratu Ratu Queens, right? So I think, again, a, a different type of film, a different side of him. Um, so I think this is another string to his bow, so to speak. Uh, I, I Before we move on uh, from the discussion about characters, I want to check in with the both of you because I, I look at someone like Sarah um, uh, and also the character of Fela uh, in, in the film here very cool very like you know uh, understated in terms of like you know the, the, what it is that they do uh, on screen and it's just like it feels like there's like over just over the past year for me personally there's like a lot of young female characters who are portrayed to be like 
cool, like just just absolutely cool. Like they can kick ass. They can they can they can you know hang with the best of them. They're very smart, very intellectual, um, and 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 all these kind of things. You know, we mentioned Lutisha earlier, right? Nadia, you and I, we talked about how in that film, um, she she was like she was just cool. You know, it's just like there's no other word to describe it. Um, I wonder for the both of you, like, does this kind of like have an impact on you, right? Because for the longest time, the conversation is always about how women are not represented in as good a way as men have been, not just in Indonesia, but also outside of Indonesian cinema and whatnot. Do you kind of like now look to uh, these kind of characters in these films and now you feel like, ah, yeah, this this is a cool person and, and I can like, you know, look up to this character or to this actor here. I just want to go with Tiara first and then we'll listen to Nadia. Tiara, what do you think? It's pretty interesting because like I didn't actually see these two women characters as like very amazing or very like eye-catching in the film. Really? Come on. There was that yeah, because, in the presidential palace where she's like, oh, like that. And I was, uh, just having at that the end, uh, Yeah. At the end, yes. But like, I think like I was more focused on like how the characters were introduced at the first time. I think that's the part where like I can get the most impact on like the characters. Right. Yes. Yeah. I think like how they were introduced was like pretty uh, simple, like pretty straightforward, like nothing too big or nothing too like special about them. Like, because I think, um, I think I read it somewhere that the directors or casting directors are actually looking for pretty face mm. actress yeah, well, with like yeah. excellent action skills. I think like somehow it's still like conforming to the idea as well. Like, mm. like about like the visual wise. True. Yes. Uh, in, in, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're very nice to look at, but you know, going beyond that, um, I think uh, Afnini is also following the footpath of uh, Joe Taslim uh, because she was previously like, uh, can't remember what she did. She fought. I mean, she's a martial artist in the past, but now she's like, you know, a lot more as, as a performer or as a, as an actress and whatnot. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I suppose maybe I'm just overhyping it because I tend not to see these kind of characters either on screen or in real life. Um as much um nadia what about you i mean can we like uh, again look at this and kind of like feel like these are the characters that will have a bigger impact on young indonesian women everywhere i mean i think so i would agree with tiara that this is like very interesting because with other films like more festival films like uni we kind of get like the portrayal of like emotional women with like big dreams and aspirations but in this movie in manchurita in Saleh, i think we get the portrayal of like a more playful side to these women so, like, um, Sarah is, like, very badass. She can kick ass and stuff like that. But also, Fela, she's sarcastic. She's funny. She's... And we don't really see that much, you know. And I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, I, for one, I know that sometimes the sarcastic woman, you know, sometimes they're just there to be used as the comedic relief. But that's not the case with Fela. That's why I think... I am more focused on Fela compared to Sarah because like she's cool, she can kick ass, but um, but the portrayal of those badass women, I think it's been there even though not as much, but like the Fela kind of woman, we don't get 
that as much. So I'm very pleased to see that. Like, even though she's like sarcastic and very arrogant, very, she's like a female jock kind of, but uh, like the characteristic, but she's still portrayed as very smart and other stuff too. So she's not just there for the comedic relief. And that is a huge relief for me because, yeah, that's a good character trope, I would say. Yeah, well, we keep talking about Fella. Should also make a note that she's played by Rachel Amanda, um, you know, with an extensive background in Cinetrons and whatnot. But all the same, uh, coming to the point here, that's the actress performing the character of Fella. Um, the film itself, I think, it has a lot going for it. I mean, uh, it's uh, visually quite quite spectacular. I think uh, in in many scenes, kind of like again, get the sense of just one take going on in there. Um, Etc. So there's a lot to talk about with regards to the film. It's a discussion about hierarchy, um, you know, family relations, uh, social economic structures, and everything. There's a lot coming coming into play here. But the one I kind of really want to get to is my note uh, that I've made here. Again, one name repeated three times, and I just wrote here: Suharto, Suharto, Suharto. Um, I I watched this again. You know, the 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 character of Permadi. Um, by, by Tio Pakusadewo, uh, his son Rama, you know, also a playboy and whatnot. Like he's literally hiring people to literally steal from the country. Um, again, you know, because the, the the general perception about Suharto is that for all the things that he has done, there's also another side where through various types of corruption and cronyism and everything, uh, certain things have been set up for him and his family to benefit in some shape or form uh, in the future and now and in the future as well. So uh, I don't know how much you, you guys want to get into this, but I just wondered whether this is something that you guys thought about when you saw the film as well. Uh, Nadia first and then Tiara. Nadia? I mean, I think for me, um, I kind of look at it as some way of this film to, I don't know, kind of like portray how the general Indonesian government, I did not think of like the specific um, person, but um, I guess I kind of... Yeah, my interpretation is that how some people of power could just basically like abuse their power, but yeah, they don't exactly. want to. Yeah, they don't want to get their hands dirty, so they hire like smaller people. Like Pico, Pico is like a university student who's in need for money. So I guess that's my own interpretation for that character, the Theo Pakosa de Wos character. Isn't that just depressing though? Like, uh, it's, it, we, now I'm also thinking about Penyalin Cahaya where you have very smart university students, right? But also having no money and therefore just like ripe for exploitation by, by whoever really, you know? The power structures from above kind of really crushes them down uh, from, from the top in a sense. Um, I don't know. Tiara, how do you, I mean, uh, my analysis that I shared with you earlier, I just wondered like whether, again, whether I'm overthinking it or whether this is something that you kind of like thought about as well. I think I definitely see this kind, this kind of idea, this kind of issue in this, like in this film, especially after watching and then I saw your notes and it intrigues me. So I actually looked up and like search a few things, like the relationship between like, the characters and I think I even see that the painting itself the Raden Saleh painting I think it it kind of gives like a symbol like that contradicts 
the issue of I think that one of the article mentioned about Papaisme like how the authority usually men or usually men or like the people with the higher hierarchies how they treat like people below them and how mm. the painting itself has been like used in this film to like contradict to fight back against like those ideas mm. yeah that's 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 a good point certainly the painting itself i must admit uh, before we go any further uh you know to me first time i heard radin saleh and diponegoro these are street names um in jakarta uh so it's just like mencuri radin saleh dia nak curi apa kat situ you know what what did they have at jalan radin saleh you know so of course it's quite shameful of me but the point is i'm just not as aware of the national significance of this um and just to tie in with a bit of your analysis that you mentioned there earlier are they like as as significant as the film portrayed them like this painting by this artist or by this painter uh, is this something that you guys perhaps would have would be aware of like or oh, this is the most important painting sir in the context of indonesian art or whatever is it something like that or is it just like something that's being amped up for this film tiara i think this film is portraying that painting a bit like subtle it's more subtle but i think people would be like interested in actually looking up about the painting because like diponegoro is a great like tokoh in our history and we all probably learned about diponegoro before so yeah i think people would look up into the painting and find like what is the essence of like this painting and how it portrays like the actual themes in this film yeah there you go i mean certainly there's a bit about you know how the painting is like rebelling against colonialism but i think even basically rebelling against higher power structures um and so this film kind of like touches base with that as well in a way um we can talk a lot more about this film um i made like a whole bunch of notes when i watched it yesterday uh is uh i thought the the music at times was very interesting um it feels at times like it's like a fan film if somebody said all right anga here's the money is a lot of money a lot of it some of it from Astro Shaw apparently is uh, which is a Malaysian um uh, company um here's the here's all the money that that you probably would like anga i want you to make a fan film of oceans 11 or oceans 12 for instance you know that's i i, I got a feeling of that a little bit um uh, the one final bit though i kind of want to ask you guys two and a half hours too long i i, I kind of felt it a bit but by the end it's like ah you know it's like Wah, we're still going on. We're not done yet. Oh, masih ada lagi ni. Tak tak habis lagi. Macam I do get a bit of that feeling there. Um I don't know whether you guys think it's it's too long or not. Um but, but still uh overall an enjoyable watch. Lovely to check out. Now it's of course again available on Netflix um which seems to be like the home of Indonesian cinema nowadays. And uh yeah, go go and check it out. Good people. Papa pun cuma bisa pesan satu, Pak. Jangan percaya sama orang lain, Nick. We're going to move on to the final film here, at least for this part. Uh, and then we'll take the temperature and see whether we continue recording the the second part today or whether we take a short uh, break for now. The final film here is a short film called Evakuasi Mama Imola. This is a 
film uh, directed by Angun Priam Bodo and it's actually um, uh, part of a, an anthology of short films produced by uh, MNC Vision Plus. Uh, again, one of the other streamers. Indonesia is very interesting in terms of the, the streaming context. Here. There's a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of uh, options available. Video, of course, is a very well regarded one. Um, very important in producing content in the Sinetron context. Uh, Vision Plus here, kind of taking a slightly different approach. You, you still have the Sinetron bit there, but the short films that they're making here is very interesting. And this one tells the story of uh, Julius, who is an inmate. He has been held in prison uh, for a few years, but an earthquake occurs. And then the warden of the prison kind of like got word that uh, in this case, uh, you know, there's an earthquake. Uh, Julius's village uh, might be uh, subject to a tsunami coming soon. So in this case, Julius receives priority to go home since he still has a mother, Imola. Right, played by Kurzia Subu. Julius here is played by Ricky Malau. And the warden here assigns the newly appointed officer, Nuri, played by Siti Fauzia, to escort Julius on a motorcycle. So basically, they are on the way back to Julius's hometown to try to save his mother. It's a film that's been well received. Uh, it's got the Best Short Film Jury Award at the Sundance Film Festival Asia in 2022. I think a reward of that is an actual appearance in the Sundance Film Festival proper. I think as we speak now, we record this, ladies and gentlemen, on the 19th of January, Sundance have just started. I think it's going to run for a few more weeks, but it's there right now in the US, um, you know, on some screen somewhere there. It's also an official selection for the International Film Festival of Rotterdam in 2023. Um, and I think, you know, it has a bright future going ahead um, in, into other areas uh, and other film festivals as well. Uh, I don't know whether you guys have seen this, though. It's a bit more obscure relative to the other films. Uh, Nadia, Tiara, have you guys seen this film? All right, so both of you have not. For my part, let me just like very briefly uh, just share some of my thoughts on this, and then um, we'll be done uh, with the first part uh, for for a bit. Basically, uh, 20 minutes, black and white, 4 by 3 aspect ratio. So it's like you kind of get the sense that um, the, the story is going to be quite serious at the start you know the start of the film is an earthquake and then it's black and white so oh no this is going to be another one of those films where people are going to die and, and all this stuff is going to happen but it didn't really quite play out like that there's a kind of whimsical uh, uh, nature of performance uh, between Julius and Nuri um, you know even though both are like very different uh, of, of very different relations uh, here you know, one is an inmate another is a prison guard um but you kind of also see this this context um, as well because uh, I can't remember where this film is set, but Nuri, who is the, the prison officer, she's not from there. She's from, uh, I think, Jakarta, or at least Jawa. In, in the film, she said Jawa. And this is the first time for her to be outside of Jawa, right? Um, so I think to an extent, it kind of speaks a little bit or kind of touches base with the the notion of people from Jawa going to other parts of Indonesia and just like imposing on them their their ways. Um, you know, uh, there's one part in the film where they were on a bike and then um, Nuri is just following a path that has been set by the warden, like the main guard at the prison. But then Julius is like, no, no, go this way. Right? So it's like, there's a local knowledge there, which seems like it's good, but it's kind of ignored by Nuri. She's just like, no, no, we're not going that way. We're going the way that I know, right? So 
it's, it's quite interesting to see a little bit of that tension of 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 having a a, a Java centric perspective, and then you know kind of being having that kind of imposed on something that's a bit more uh, fringe, if you will. Um, on that note, I wonder if I can just check in with you guys, like Tiara, Nadia, when it comes to films. Um, are, are we still like looking at the kind of films or TV shows that you guys see? Are these like still very much, you know, Jakarta centric or Javanese centric, or are we kind of like seeing more and more of like stuff from outside of the Jakarta and Javanese context here? What do you guys think? I think nowadays I can definitely definitely find like different cultures, different locations for Indonesian films, but series I'm not really sure. Probably like for TV series or web series, we can pretty much find more of like the city-centric narratives, like probably Jakarta or like other big cities in Indonesia. Okay, fair enough. Would you agree with that assessment, Nadia? Like films and whatnot? Yeah, a little bit more variety, but for longer shooting commitments, you know, when you make a series or Sinetron or web series, it's like you kind of need to stay in that place for a bit longer. It's just easier to just do it in Jakarta. Uh, would you agree with the assessment? Yeah, I think so. But I think for me, even with films, even though we do get some films that are not Jakarta based, I think most of the films, though, generally speaking, most of them are still in Jakarta. And then the dialogue itself, like it shows that they speak a little bit of English, like the bilingualism that is shown through the script i guess um i don't know it, it kind of implies that jakarta is the only well maybe not this per se but kind of that jakarta is the only place where um everything is very globalized and stuff like that um but yeah of course nowadays especially with camila and Dini's films have a variation of films that is set outside of jakarta yeah, I suppose, I mean, in that context, uh, yeah, we're getting a, a greater variety. You mentioned Camila Andini, of course, later on, we'll also be discussing about Ngeri Ngeri Sedap, uh, which is uh, Batak, Batak, Sumatra, eh, Sumatra Utara, right? So somewhere in, in Lake Toba, in that area there. So we're kind of like getting more and more perspectives from other parts of Indonesia, but still, I think it must be kind of noted that in a general sense, this is just unfortunately a thing everywhere else, um, you know, before we kind of reach the end of uh, the first part here. If you are, you know, watching Malaysian films, for the most part, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be in KL, Selangor, and, and not so much, you know, films set in Ipoh and Penang, there'll be a number, but it's, it's not going to be as much. Um, you know, same for Korean films, you know, Seoul is where it's at, uh, Jonju and whatnot, uh, a, a little less, right? So Tiara is smiling there at the discussion of Jonju, the home of bibimbap, ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, which is short for mixed rice. But Korean cinema is not all that bibim, it's not all that mixed, it's still very much mono in terms of the focus on, on capital cities and whatnot. Um, so it's not an uncommon thing here is what I'm trying to point out, yeah? Uh, but all the same, always good to kind of like... Uh, have more, uh, I guess you could say, uh, more of a, uh, a greater diversity. Uh, I mentioned earlier, this is part of an, um, of an uh, anthology of short films. The anthology, ladies and gentlemen, is called Picnic Persona. It's available on Vision Plus. And I think there's like a total of 10 films. 
And all these are from different parts of Indonesia. So they're not all like, you know, all 10 films are all in Jakarta or whatever. It's all like, you know, there'll be some from Sumatra, Makassar or whatever it is. So it's well worth checking out if you fancy uh, getting a bit more of that color to your Indonesian cinematic palette. But for now, we have reached the end of the first part of our discussion here about selected films, uh, selected Indonesian films from the year 2022 as inspired by the, an article from the Jakarta Post. We are going to take a break uh, and we will continue with part two in the following episode. Uh, so for now, uh, say goodbye, Nadia. Bye. <laughs> and say goodbye, Tiara. Bye. <laughs> and and it's a goodbye from me, right? We'll catch you in the following episode. Bye, everyone. Everything is okay. I just want to play. Unplug for the day.